Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring hosts Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here is Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 27, being recorded on Tuesday, May 17th, 2016. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as always, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, it's kind of a special week. It's the second time we've actually podcasted in the same room. Absolutely, and those are, are of course, my favorite podcasts when I get to spend a little quality time with you and see the pained, sour expressions on your face when I try to make a joke that isn't funny. <laughs> yes, it happens uh, happens all too often. I imagine that it does, but we are, in fact, in the same room because we are in Las Vegas for the Shop Talk show this week. Yeah, yeah, there's, um, uh, there's a lot of great content here at the show and a lot of th- Stories, I think, that we want to share on the podcast, but that will have to wait for another time because here for episode 27, we have a very special guest. And this is someone that's here at Shop Talk that we shanghaied earlier today and said, do you want to do a podcast? And he uh, he said yes, which uh, it's like the first time, I think, in a very long time. So we have uh, one of the pioneers in e-commerce, John Normark. He was one of the founders of eBags. We've had Peter Cobb on the show, so we want to we're going to kind of make sure your stories verify there on the eBags side. Uh, and then you're currently the CEO and co-founder of Iterate, and we really appreciate you doing this. It's kind of late here by uh, by Vegas standards. Well, I guess it's early by Vegas standards, but we appreciate you. It's been a long day of of trade showing, and uh, uh, we really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah. So. Um, Super excited to learn more about what you're doing now, but we find that we'd like to kind of go through the chronology of these things. So, so we, we know you started eBags. What did you do before eBags? You know, I, I worked at uh, Samsonite. I was um, a marketing guy. And uh, marketing at Samsonite is channel management. They, they sell, or at least when I was there, they sold product through 21 different distribution channels, you know, warehouse clubs, military channel, department stores, you know, you name it. Um, and, and, uh, I was overseeing all the product It would be, you know, a thousand different products running through those channels. And, uh, as the internet started to emerge, uh, I thought they should be selling through the internet and maybe creating, um, um, uh, a distribution channel to replace like TJ Maxx or Schottenstein's or, you know, the liquidation channels where we sold product below cost. And I felt like we could sell product at wholesale pricing and, uh, and, um, make full margin and the consumer wins, we win. Uh, and I took that to the president of Samsonite. Uh, and he told me, you know, that just wouldn't work. Another president came in a little later. This was 1997. I asked him to do it. We went to dinner and for 45 minutes, uh, we talked about the internet. And at the very end, he said to me, John, I can guarantee you one thing. No one will ever sell a bag through an inter- through the internet. Or through an email, excuse me. No one will ever sell a bag through an email. And it was there where I quit, like mentally. And it took me about six more months to leave. But that was yeah. my Samsonite years. And this yeah. is, so Amazon went public in 97. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a, that was a really bad, bad thing for him to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny. I, I, uh, I was a climber, a mountain climber, and I'd been down in Ecuador. And um, I spent the... Uh, night with a family down in a place called Guayaquil uh, after climbing and wanted to send them a gift. And I was trying to figure out how in the world am I going to get a, a gift down to, you know, Ecuador. And I was using the internet back then when the, you know, it'd squeak when you're turning it on and, <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> and um, I went to Amazon and, and they shipped, believe it or not, uh, like um, coffee table books down to Ecuador. And it was then I said, you know, this is crazy. Like this is, this is a new, this is going to change things. Uh, it was so easy. It was like the catalog, but an interactive catalog that, you know, I could see right there would be global. Yeah. yeah. Then uh, how did you connect with Peter? Peter was my boss. Um, Peter Cobb. Um, he worked at Samsonite too. He was, he ran marketing uh, for Samsonite. He, was he the guy that told you that they'll never sell a bag on them? <laughs> yeah, that was Peter. <laughs> that was the guy. I didn't want to say that. But no, no, Peter, he was such a huge supporter. But 
Uh, anyway, Peter was my boss and uh, I worked for him for six years. He was one of the best bosses I ever had. And he left Samsonite. He actually got sick, uh, had left Samsonite, but we stayed in touch. Uh, during the period where he was gone for two years, I um, ended up in his role uh, running marketing. And uh, I, I um, after at the end of those two years, I was just fed up with, believe it or not, working there um, for a variety of reasons. And I didn't, the, the current CEO was really rough to work for. So is it fair to say, though, John, those were the two most successful years that Samson had? Yeah, were- <laughs> when Peter left, everything got real good. And, and when I was, like, running the marketing, everything was great. But um, but anyway, we – yeah, we went um, – you know, I, I wanted to move on. And um, I built – it was five or six different business plans. Uh, one of them was eBags. I actually bought the domain name for, like – Seven dollars. Remember that? Oh, yeah. uh, I bought about. I spent three thousand dollars on different domains, uh, and and they were in six different um, business categories. And I went over to Peter's house one night. I did this with a few different guys. Uh, it took me about six months to do this, but went over to Peter's house one night and said, "You know, I've got all these plans. Spent over twelve hours in his home, walking him through all the plans. And the very last one I showed him was eBags. And he, and he said, "You know, if you do that one, I'm going to do this with you." And, um, I'd already had a little really bad website built and stuff like that, but I really did not want to do bags because it's what I've been doing for 10 years. Uh, thankfully it's what we did. Uh, him and another guy named Frank Steed, they both said the same thing to me. He was a former president of Samsung. So Peter's boss, uh, he came on board too. No one really knows him in the industry here, but he was uh, instrumental in getting it going. And, uh, but those guys, um, they said, if you do bags, we'll, we're in. And, and I'm thankful we did because we understood the industry so well. We had all the contacts in the industry. We could talk people into doing stuff like drop shipping, which was new, um, doing customer ratings and reviews, which was new, uh, and, and not accepted by the vendor community at the time. Mm-hmm. But it was because of all our contacts yeah, we could do that. What if someone leaves a bad that, review? Yeah, that's always the one thing. That, we, yeah, today, that's we, the one thing that I always get from brands. Like, we heard that. What do we do? We heard that all the time and, and, um, you know, but we took every review. I, rem- I remember a meeting where we sat in a room and came up with all the swear words, you know, that people could <laughs> write into review and we put in filters. We run, we eBags to this day, you know, it's its own, um, software running that review program, but, and they've got over 4 million of them today. But, um, you know, we took everything because we wanted honesty. And, um, I, I remember, uh, I'd read some book called blur. I don't know if you guys ever remember that. It was a great book and it was about the, uh, the way the internet would change commerce and change the way people interact and commerce would become a two way street. You know, it, it, it argued that retailers would buy content like reviews from consumers and in return would give them, you know, better prices back to consumers. And I, I loved that book, and that was basically how eBags business model was sort of formed in the beginning. Is that, is that Malcolm Gladwell? Is that, did he do no, more? It was. I, I don't remember the author, but yeah, I remember reading it. I don't remember the author. I think it was more of a like. I'll, a, I'll get our research staff on. Yeah, okay. you do. let's get uh, let's get yeah. that new intern to look at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, it was. But it, it it was a great time. You know, that was when. Um, well, today is that way too. There are all these new models coming out, and. Um, you know, we're seeing a number of them today. And okay, so it's so it's 1997 ish, and you've convinced these two crazy people to start eBags. Um, how did you guys? Did you go get venture capital to start out with? And so, you know, imagine it's kind of a whole. You know, becoming an entrepreneur, having been at a big company like yeah. a Samsonite, is like it's a pretty big leap, and there's no roadmap. How did you? How did you decide to take that journey? What roles did you guys take when you started? Love to hear a little bit of the the founding story there. Well, Scott, and you were starting, you know, your companies probably around the same time, and uh, you're right. Like there was no, there was no roadmap. There were, there was no LinkedIn. There was no Facebook. There was no, there was no way to really find the the truth on how to get these things going. You just kind of had to work in your neighborhood um, and through friends you knew to understand what's going on and. Anyway, we, um, I, I funded quite a bit on my own, you know, it was like $50,000, uh, of my own before anyone joined, uh, just trying to get proof of concepts going and kind of show what a website might look like at the time people were building page sites, not even database driven websites. And so, um, 
we actually went and uh, once Peter and Frank and another guy, Andy, uh, came on board um, as co-founders, uh, we all decided um, we could work in the company if we threw in another $50,000 each. So you kind of had to pay to join the company. That's how eBag started. And with that money, we let's not give that idea to my boss. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you think back and it's like, man, we were like out of our minds. Um, but that's what we did. We, we all, uh, committed, I'd already committed money before that, you know, spending money. And then, and then we all threw in 50 more when we all put our hands in the middle and said, let's go. Uh, and then we, um, and then we didn't take a salary, you know, for a good, almost a year. Yeah. And what we committed to was we wouldn't do it until we had like $4 million that we could, you know, use to build the business. And that's when we'd start drawing a salary and then we could go between 40 and $80,000 a piece. That's how it got going. And that took, um, you know, like eight or nine months to get some funding in the door after we started funding it that way. And yeah. So you were a CEO and Peter was CMO. I was a I CEO. Yeah, I was a CEO. I mean, we all just kind of made up title. Frank became the, Frank was a chairman. Um, Peter ran marketing and another guy, Andy ran merchandising. He was ex Samsonite too. We were all ex Samsonite, mm. uh, which was great because we knew each other's strengths. We knew each other's weaknesses. Uh, we, we knew we worked well together. Uh, none of us were techies. Uh, thankfully we found a guy named Mike Frazzini who was really strong. And another guy, Val Agostino, who were really strong on the tech side. And they were, you know, I mean, people have asked me like, how did eBags, like, what's the one thing that, made it work. And, you know, I'll say like, are you kidding me? Uh, one thing <laughs> like, where did the stars not align? Like there were hundreds of them. And had I known how many had to align to make this work, I probably wouldn't have done this thing. Yeah. But it somehow came together. Not knowing is sometimes the best. Not yeah. <laughs> yeah. Naivety. Then, then you don't even question. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, sure we, I can do this. I came within two months of running out of all my money. I spent my, I spent, um, personally, uh, yeah, $60,000 on my credit cards. I uh, got a second mortgage on my house that came within two months of not me not being able to, you know, make a payment. I actually had to go to my parents and ask for $20,000 to just keep going. Um, wiped out my 401k, all my savings. I mean, it, it was really hard. Peter ended up having a, I tried it when we went and got an office. Uh, the, the, they asked me to put my home, you know, up as collateral. Because that's what you had to do back then. Now we have co-work spaces like Galvanize and WeWorks that resolves that problem. Just like LinkedIn helps you do networking yeah. so you can figure out how to what your attorney should be like and and that. But but uh, they went to go get my house and it was so I was so horribly bad credit <laughs> by this point. <laughs> they wouldn't give me um, they wouldn't take my house. Wow. Because there were too many other people in line for it. <laughs> so Peter had to go to his wife and ask her if she would put their house up for collateral, which he did. Wow. And it and it was collateral on the business for um, seven years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we ended up getting venture funding. You know, we raised $30 million from like A-tier VCs out of Silicon Valley in New York City. But it was, it's been a, yeah, an amazing ride. I would. I was gonna say, like today, this would be an amazing episode of Shark Tank. <laughs> yeah, I can't watch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can't watch Shark Shark Tank. I don't watch it. Like I, you know, it's just like too close to home. I guess. Or, yeah. You know, it's not entertainment to me. Are you annoyed by the investors or the entrepreneurs that kind of sell like half their company for a hundred k? You know, it's both. Yeah, you're right. Like. <laughs> like yeah, I mean those poor people. Like, yeah. what in the world? A hundred thousand dollars. And there's always like, and company. you pay it back, and you pay me a fifteen percent. You're just like, oh my, don't do it. I know, but I it's know. it's totally worth it because they they can get their phone calls answered by QVC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Mark Cuban's going to spend ten hours a day with. He's going to build your website. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, so one thing is I've always wondered is you had all these Samsonite people. At mm -hmm. any point did Samsonite kind of come and say, hey? Yeah, What's we got a cease and desist. Oh, you did? Uh, okay. We did, yeah. I've wow. had my share of those over the years, too, where, yeah, they said you hire one more person. So it's uh, more of the inducement, not like IP or anything. They still didn't no, understand the, the whole you know, IP thing. And they ended up being an amazing partner. Um, but it, it was kind of an odd thing because I quit that to start eBags. And then, and then other people who had left already, like Peter had been gone a few years and Frank had been gone a few years and Andy had actually been gone all of all of us, I guess, except for me who quit. 
came back. But what ended up happening was all these people that worked for us started calling and saying, Hey, can I come work, you know, with you? And we had a great little team. It was super energized. And, uh, we ended up hiring like 12 Mm. and then, uh, the letter came and, you know, we decided this is way too important. This, you know, Samsonite is an unbelievable brand, uh, in, in our category. Yeah. And we decided were they selling we on eBags at this point? So yeah, had like yeah. A and that relationship. was that was interesting too because we really kind of invented, not invented, but uh, started the dropship scenario in this industry, or at least in in our category. And we dropship like today. It's five. I'm still the chairman uh, of the company, but uh, so today I'll say we dropship from like 500 different warehouses around the yeah. country. We were dropshipping in Europe and in you know around the world, kind of, um, and. The thing is, though, that no one did that. But the reason I knew when when I was writing the business plan for this, the reason I knew we could do this is because we did these things called Mark for Stores. When JCPenney would order from Samsonite, they would they would have a ship to stores, not to a central warehouse. So we would ship, you know, one, two, three pieces to stores. And I, I started thinking, you know, if we could ship to a store one or two pieces, why can't we ship to a home? Mm-hmm. And so that's when I realized this thing could work, you know, and and luggage, when you think about it, it takes up so much space in a store. And this is like made for e-commerce, you know, in a lot of ways because, yeah, yeah and, and the dropship model and that. But anyway, Samsonite, when we went to them and tried to get them to dropship, they said, no, we won't do that. So we ended up renting a warehouse right next to theirs. And every day we would send a truck in, get a bulk order, move it into the warehouse next door and pretend to drop ship it <laughs> until finally, about a year later, they said, let's go. We'll do it too. And they've been a great partner. Yeah. And for a long time, like they weren't just selling through eBags. Like you operated yeah. the Samsonite website for them, didn't you? No, we we didn't do that. Oh. One. But what we did do was we ran Toomey.com. Yeah, and that was an amazing thing because uh, you know we were we were running out of cash. We always forecast nine months out. I mean, we raised thirty million dollars, but you know what it was like. That was a different period of time. It cost a lot of money. We were trying How many to Herman Miller Aeron chairs. Because can you buy with thirty million? That's like <laughs> probably servers. Zero. So yeah. back in yeah. those back in those <laughs> yeah. days, we were buying servers, which yeah. seems ridiculous yeah. now. But you had to go Zero. buy the servers, and you had to, you know, some. You know, you guys may have actually had yeah. to build your own data center. Like we had. Um, a lot yeah. of the data centers didn't really exist. We had big server farms, and yeah. you know, and we wrote all our code from scratch. There was no, there was nothing that you could buy off the shelf. SaaS didn't exist. You know, there was no cloud, and that's why it was so expensive. But more than that, like to do a deal with AOL or something is a million dollar check minimum. Yeah, and and no one knew what was going to work and not work at the time. You had to have a portal deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had to have a portal <laughs> portal deal. AOL, yeah, whoever. Um, but then you know, so um, um. We, I went to meet with Toomey out in New Jersey and, uh, they, they set up a meeting actually. And, uh, I flew there from Colorado, which is where we live and sat in the lobby and they wouldn't come out and see me. I mean, I, that was the only reason I went. And then all of a sudden one guy came out and he said, you know, we'll meet with you for 15 minutes because they weren't on our website or anything. And I said, 15 minutes. Okay. I flew out here for, you know, to meet you guys, 15 minutes. Anyway, they took me back, but what I started with was showing them the demographics of the shopper on eBags. And it was like, you know, average household income of $120,000 a year. It was real high. It's travelers, frequent travelers and, and early internet users, you know, and, and then he said, just suck, you know, and went and got more of the executives and then, and then more. And I was there like four hours presenting eBags to, you know, just one after another presentation. And then they said, thanks a lot. That was so interesting. Sent me home. Uh, and then we didn't hear from him for two months. Well, then one day I get a phone call and, um, and this guy, he says, you know, we're not going to sell any bags, not interested in that, but would you consider running to me.com? And it was like, wow. Like then we had a choice to make. Do we run to me and like reconfigure the whole site to kind of become a GSI an early version of that? Or do we raise more money? But what we knew is we're running out of money and, we decided to take the bet on Toomey because we thought like that brand is so strong that if we could just get the website up fast enough, uh, it would become a funding event for us. And we did it, and it, they became a great partner. They came on to eBags uh, as well, and we ran their website, and that lasted for you know many many years. We got good friends there, and another lucky moment. You, you couldn't really strategize. Did you add more brands that way, or that was just kind of like the one you did? Uh, you mean for, uh, running their websites? Yes. 
We did, you know, we ended up doing Toomey in um, the U.S., the U.K., uh, Germany, I think France, Japan. Uh, so we, it helped take us international. And then we did uh, Case Logic, which was a good relationship too, uh, over in Europe as well. Uh, we were planning on doing more, but that's about when I left okay. uh, eBags. And then after I left, the board decided to uh, shut it down, mm-hmm. which broke my heart because I felt like it was a, a great little business for eBags. Yeah. But, you know, things happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, now they can just open up a, a SaaS store for 50 bucks a month. So mm. <laughs> maybe it True. was okay. It was probably a good decision. <laughs> yeah. You never know yeah, these yeah. Not yeah, to deride any of the hard work we all did back then, but yeah. it would be way better. Yeah. You never know. I, and I'm happy where it is right now. Like it's, and it's a single singular focus. And, um, I mean, I, I couldn't be happier yeah. with where eBags is today. So when, when did you leave eBags? 19, no, two, th- 2008. Okay. 2008. Yeah, I was a CEO from 1990, 1998 through 2008. Okay. Mid so, 2008. Got it. Uh, so and then, then just, and then just became a board member and, and ultimately the chairman. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so if it's not too painful, you know, so 2008, the first mm-hmm. thing I think about is recession. Is that kind yeah. of one of the kind of causes there? No, um, no, it had, it, it was, uh, nothing to do with that. Um, eBags was, um, you know, we're venture back yep. and, um, we went 10 years without selling the company. It's kind of a no, no. Yep. Um, they don't normally take that long of a horizon on their investments. No, that's kind of it. The, 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 the kind of eight to 10 is what they'll say. And they really wanted to max. And the way funds are set up. I mean, no one really, this is a thing. Like when you're a young guy and you're or a young lady and you're starting a new company, you don't realize like when you go get funding, um, yeah, I mean, they have commitments to their limited partners. They owe the money back in like 10 years. And if they don't get it back in 10 years, they, they have to ask, ask for extensions. And, and, um, you know, eBags was part of a, um, a fund, um, uh, from what I've, what I understand is, um, you know, that it was part of a fund that had like 25 investments and, um, um, it needed, well, it, you know, for the fund to break even, eBags needed to sell for a really high price. And we were, uh, we were requested, you know, to bring the money home. Suggested. Yeah. And, and, you know, like <laughs> if you're a venture back company, you're not really evaluated on your own merits as much as you're evaluated by each venture firm as part of the pool. Yeah. You know, the Heaven fund, forbid, the fund you're in you're like involved. a fund that has Facebook in it or something. Yeah. And everyone's like, can't, why, you know, that was a 25,000% yeah. return. Why can't you do that? Well, and the crazy <laughs> thing is, and, and this is, you know, what you learn as you get older and, and is that if you're in a fund where you have a, a huge winner, well, then all the, they all want to move away from the fund. All the, all the, you know, the venture guys want to move away from that fund because they made their money. Yeah. They've made their commitments back to their investors. So you could be a good company in that and they could care less about you. I'm not saying every fund, but, but this is kind of a gener- generality. And, but that's, that's reality. So you could be building a real nice company and they just want to get rid of you because they've made their money. They want to move on to the next fund. This is how the guys that run the funds make their money. Now, if, if you're in another situation where none of the companies are performing and you happen to be the best one, which I believe was our situation, uh, you're required to carry the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're not a Facebook you're no good either. And, and, you know, because you really, they, they need a huge return out of the top company in the fund. And, and so it's just, it's complicated. You know, it's not just about um, do, creating a great customer experience, which is what I live for. I want to sell bags, you know, but in the end you raise money, you have obligations, right? Yeah. And, and you feel it too. I mean, anytime you take money from anybody, uh, it becomes a burden. Yeah, you know, and and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that if you're a, a decent person, you feel like you owe people the money back. Totally. And yeah, yeah. been there and done that. Got the yeah. T-shirt. The uh, uh, so I remember at that time I, after you left, I saw you in Denver, and you were working on um, like a this interesting kind of thing around miles. Um, is that uh, kind of the next thing miles. you did? Yeah, I, I spent. Well, what happened was I started investing money yep. in in um, companies and. 
because uh, I, I actually went away from eBags with a, you know, they took care of me and, and um, I love startups. Mm-hmm. And so I started investing some money in them. And one of them, I, I put a fair amount of money into, and it turned out um, one of the founders was um, embezzling money. Oh no. Yeah. So, um, and they'd raised a, you know, a fair amount of money. So I ended up, um, they took him out. I said, I'd step in and I became CEO of that company, which, uh, I would never do again because it was, uh, I mean, you know, it's hard enough like building a, it's kind of a turnaround kind of, yeah, scenario. yeah. It's hard enough building a company, but, but it was great from the standpoint of, uh, I learned a lot about really advanced technologies around, um, you know, scraping and, and doing some interesting things around, um, passwords and, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. The travel industry is like, yeah, they're so frenemies compared to our industry. You know, they're all, yeah. they're all kind of like Expedia doesn't mind if, yeah. you know, Travelocity is connected in and they don't mind if, you know, they just like cycle all this yeah. traffic around in these kind of complicated patterns. It's, it's fascinating to kind of see how that works. Yeah. There's a huge lead gen element of that. And, you know, and the, the companies that are involved there are just so massive. Like, you're, you know, companies with hundred million person frequent flyer programs and, but in any event, I learned the travel industry too, and how the meta search engines work, and how the hotels work, and and it, it was great because it really, I think, it helped define you know a new side of me and take me into my next stage. Yeah. And just for our listeners, Use Miles was a what was the nature of the business like? It- uh, using Miles aggregated, it's still there, kind of. It got sold, and another company bought it, but it it. Um, it aggregated all your frequent flyer mile accounts, all your hotel accounts, all your the points you get from credit card companies. Um, so an average person has like twenty seven loyalty programs that they they belong to, but you know you have no idea what's in any of the programs. So it was sort of a dashboard, if you will, a dashboard of all the gotcha. But then beyond that, it was a search engine. It searched. Uh, it was a meta search engine, meaning it would search a hundred different websites at the same time. So that was pretty cool technology, you know, to build. It's, it's like kayak, um, but, but it would apply the frequent flyer points to the search results. So you could get discounts and stuff like that. I mean, it was, it was really, really yeah, cool. I, I remember Great after idea. seeing you at this, I think yeah. it was the Liberty event we were at. Was yeah. It? Yeah. It was a, yeah. yeah. And then I remember using it and I was like, this is awesome because yeah. it was a very actionable. It would like, yeah. not only would it like do the dashboard, but it would say, Hey Scott, if you want to optimize, you know, you would say, I'm going to go, you know, to Las Vegas and it would say you it actually be best to kind of take this route and use this thing and don't yeah. use miles. Cause you know, it was really good at kind of working through some of that stuff. It, it was, it was really neat. And the, the other founder, a young lady uh, named Krista, she, she actually works at eBags now as a vice president runs all their social. Mm-hmm. She's, she's an amazingly uh, good at that. Um, but you know, it was there that I met her and it was her idea to do the, do this using miles and or her and a, another person. But she, you know, she, she through that also made friends with all these travel companies. But, but the hard thing was um, all the loyalty programs are considered the asset of, I mean, you know, the, the airlines are highly protective <laughs> of those things. So I had my share of read my share of cease and desist letters from companies there as well. You're like a magnet for these things. Yeah. And, and, um, and one guy even told me, you know, it's really good when you get a cease and desist. I, I remember because I'd get these and I'd like go, Oh my, Oh my gosh. Like, what are we going to do now? And, you know, cause if you, we can barely afford a lawyer, uh, and they're putting sick in their whole like legal team on us. It feels like. And, but the thing is I, I was out in Silicon Valley and I remember telling this guy, man, you know, we got some cease and desist, uh, you know, He's like, oh, awesome. Like, that's the best. I love getting those. And I was like, what, what do you mean? He goes, that means you're being highly disruptive. Like, that is just the best. <laughs> I was like, yeah, right. If you have a bunch of lawyers to fight back. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> this wasn't Sean Parker at Napster, was it? It might have, yeah. Okay. It was a guy like him, but not, not him, though. No. Yeah, okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So then, um, so now you're at Iterate, and how, yeah. how did you uh, tell us the story of how, how you founded that and you why? Know, yeah, when I was starting, um, when I was, when I left eBags, I like I said, I started investing in startups and uh, doing a lot of advisory work with them. Worked with a few tech stars companies, founder institute companies, and I met a guy from Russia who um, uh, his name is Igor Shoifoit, and he's a professor at Berkeley these days. And 
um, we became friends and, uh, he started telling me about all his friends back in Ukraine and Russia that were building these really cool companies. And he was involved in, in mentoring him and, 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 and there was a, a billionaire in, in Ukraine. He basically runs all the vertically integrated milk production, everything from the cow to the, the people buying the milk at the stores in Ukraine and Kazakhstan. This guy ran that. He wanted to start a, an incubator for tech companies all over Eastern Europe. And they asked me to join the board. So I did. And I uh, spent two years going to Kiev um, every quarter and kind of evaluating all these really cool companies that were coming out of the ground in Russia, Moldova, Belarus. You have one of those cool Russian hats. Do you, <clears throat> I didn't require. Yeah. Well, it is. Doesn't your cold head freeze well. if you don't wear one of those things? It is freezing. Yeah. It's cold. Yeah. But the, um, you know, the, um, it was there that I realized, my gosh, this cloud thing is a big deal. Like it was about 2009, 2010. And I, we, you know, eBags kind of was one of the, I don't want to call him an inventor, but we were doing AB split testing before anybody talked about it. It was a, an idea of a guy, Val Agostino, one of our, he said we could treat the online like advertisers do with direct mail. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of wrote our own software to do that. And, and, but by the time I was going to Ukraine, SaaS services do that, like visual website optimizer, optimizely, you know, and it's like, wow, you know, uh, so these Russian guys and these guys out of Kiev and, uh, out of, you know, these countries where they don't have very much money, were launching products off Amazon cloud and there in Kiev, another board member was a guy named Brian Sathainathan, and he was an early, he was part of Apple Secret Products um, on the very first iPhone team. Uh, he le- he was one of eight leaders on it that helped build all the. He was brought in there to do encryption, uh, to write all this, get all the security software written, and then tie the iPhone to AT and T. That was his job, like as leader, and he was part of that board. And he and I would spend. Um, there's nowhere to go at night. In Kiev, there are no, you know, you don't have cars or anything. So we would sit and talk about how the world's changed. Drinking vodka. Drinking vodka. <laughs> we, <laughs> or, you know, uh, but what was really cool is we could just see that this cloud was allowing these people that couldn't even afford cars. And that's the truth. Like these guys in Kiev, they live at home until they're 30, 32, 34 years old. No car. Uh, but they could write amazing code. And they deploy it off the Amazon cloud because it's so cheap. And we were thinking, my gosh, we could put this into eBags. We could, we could, you know, and we could AB split it on Visual Website Optimizer and figure out if it works. And that was sort of the genesis of Iterate because we thought we, we should be finding all these really amazing startup technologies and rapidly AB split them and keep the ones that work and throw away the ones that don't. Because if we don't, we won't keep up with Amazon because by now, Amazon's becoming a real threat to everyone too. And um, that's a whole nother story. Like, yeah. yeah. But that was the beginning of, of iterate. And, you know, it gradually then as, as it started, um, we started thinking about how it could, um, um, how it should move into more of the traditional world. And obviously that's where it's gone. If you talk to any retailer here outside of an e-bags who doesn't have any stores, but all the ones that do, I mean, they have to figure out how to digitize their stores. They have to digitize the supply chain. They need to digitize their HR. And, you know, it has to happen everywhere because culturally everything has to change. Otherwise, it's a facade. Mm -hmm. And so today we're involved in just doing, you know, everything from IoT to um, supply chain to, you know, all kinds of crazy things that I never thought I would be involved in. Okay. So you started in 2009 as is that uh, you know, it really got no, it really got going about 2013. We talked okay, about it 13. a couple of years got it. ahead of time, and I was just kind of whining. We just sold using miles, and I was kind of whining out of that. And the way it actually officially started was, uh, we were, I was telling my attorney, my personal attorney, that uh, about this company that Brian and I were talking about getting going. And uh, one day he called me, and he told the attorney told me he quit and he was going to join us. He quit his job as a general counsel. Of a pretty big company. <laughs> and I, I remember just almost falling over. Like, are you kidding me? You quit your job to be an attorney without even asking me? Like, yeah, he wants to work with us. So um, anyway, then I called Brian and said, oh, 
this is real. Like we just had a, one of my friends just quit his job to work with us. Uh, it's time. Like we got to make this work. <laughs> Fortunately, you knew an attorney to yeah. do the, uh, to do the docs. Well, that's the craziest <laughs> thing. We do so much legal work. Uh, you know, one of the things we do is provide, a. Uh, we have like 50 startups who work with us that are under contract with us and they assign to us an experimentation license, which then we can, which we then give to any large company that works with us. So they don't, the large company then eliminates the whole MSA and NDA process. They can take six months for every single startup they want to work with. So what we're trying to do is make it so that a large company can turn the startup environment into a R and D lab that they really don't really have to pay for. Yeah. You know, all the investments in all the startups, but the big company access them basically for free. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, not free, but close. Yeah. And so we're trying to make that world work as seamlessly as Amazon might work internally, which is just a big R&D, internal R&D lab. Yeah. In my mind, like around that time, it wasn't just Amazon that had this huge research advantage. Some of the other big retailers, that was about the time that some of them were all announcing their their yeah. own incubators or lab yeah. things. And, and so it seemed like there, mm-hmm. there was a lot of conversation amongst Many other retailers, shoot, how do we compete with these things that Target's doing or Staples are doing? Or, You know, the first labs, I I actually have a diagram on this. And um, I think Amazon's first, they have a couple labs, right? And uh, they've got Lab 126, which is actually 126 A to Z. They'll do anything A to Z, 1 to 26. Uh, They've got A9, which is more around search technologies and ad technologies and stuff like that, whereas... The Lab 126 does a lot of the hardware stuff. Yeah. And then they've got web labs where, you know, like in 2013 or 14, and they, they ran almost 2,000 tests through that. I mean, it's in their uh, SEC documents. You can read about it. And, and, uh, but they started Lab 126 around, I think it was 2004, somewhere in there. And then A9 a year later or something like that, right in that range. Mm-hmm. And it took the rest of the retail community about um, yeah, nine years to create the first one. Wow. And, um, and the, you know, so it's, it took a long time for people to realize that this R and D thing within the retail world is going to become real. Mm-hmm. And if you go look at any of the financial statements on uh, any of the, you know, like if you look at Amazon's, they have a line item in their R and D and a year ago it was $15.4 billion. Wow. Uh, and it, it goes up this last year. It actually went down a little bit. It's still over 10 billion, but um, it's like 11, 11, 12 billion, but it's bigger than Google. Yeah. It's bigger than Apple. It's, it's huge. They spend every dime they make, you know, on R and D. I bet they spend more than like the next 10 retailers or maybe 20. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, the yeah. other retailers, the, the funniest part is, and, they don't break and it I, out. So it's hard to figure. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything, this isn't even a critique. It's just the retail industry didn't grow up with R and D. There was no reason for it. You built stores that that's, that's what they did. And, you know, they would find a concept that works, you know, in a local neighborhood. And then when they found one that worked, you just stamp out stores as fast as you can, you know, and get the supply chain working. There was no R and D R and D might've been in fashion, like about, you know, that's kind of the R and D, but, but Amazon brought R and D to the retail world. And it is a true, technology company, even though I actually, I, I wrote this thing the other day that says it's really an ecosystem. It's not, it's not a retailer. It's not, it's not even a technology company. It's an ecosystem, what they're building now. Yeah. 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 And unfortunately we all have to compete with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it is interesting because you, you look at retail as like a 4,000 year old industry and there haven't been very many disruptions. Right. No. And so, all the playbooks in retail are really about how to operate in this status quo environment, right? Mm-hmm. Like you look back and there weren't that many changes that really dramatically forced yeah. retailers to operate differently. Like a hundred years ago, catalog came on the scene. That's yeah. that was like the biggest disruption. Yeah, I mean like yeah. like I joke, like from outdoor to indoor was a big disruption, right? right. Like when they moved the bazaars indoors and then when they started yeah. taking money was a big disruption. And when they could sell stuff over the phone for the first time, yeah. that you know that was a big disruption. Yeah, yeah. an eight hundred number. Yeah, yeah, like, no, yeah, uh, with, uh, um, yeah, like a very meaningful one. And so, and obviously, we're we happen to all be living through one of the biggest of all this digital disruption. Mm-hmm. But to your point, 
that that was just not in the retail playbook to say, hey, we have to reinvent ourselves. No. What we have to do is get really efficient and be the best operator in this yeah. this old model. Yeah. And so it, it's not surprising that it's taken a lot of us extra time to figure out that that's yeah. not the game anymore. Yeah, and it, and it didn't work within the, you know, just the cultural environment of any company at the time. And, you know, my Samsonite has a great story around this disruption thing because uh, when they were born in Denver, Colorado, in 1910, they uh, could not get distribution. They they just because there were little specialty luggage stores, you know, in in the little cowboy towns, I guess, and um, and they couldn't get distribution, and they needed it in places like New York. But guess what? The department store started to emerge, and the the brands that were selling the little luggage specialty stores. Uh, we're told by the specialty stores that if you sell that department store, we will drop your brand. And so none of them abandoned the department, the, the specialty store. But guess what? Samsonite, who couldn't get distribution, said, we'll do it. And, and that's what turned them into the biggest luggage company in the world. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is through these disruptive um, uh, times that new brand, you know, I mean, everything changes. And that's what scares me uh, right now. You know, I feel like they're, that culturally every retailer has to move at triple the speed they're used to. They just have to, because otherwise it'll be just a matter of time. And, and it comes slowly, but, but at a point you can't stop a downdraft. Yeah. I will and, put in a plug. We have a, an Amazon deep dive that I recommend. If you haven't listened to that, pause this podcast, go back and listen to it. Cause we're going to, we're going to talk a lot about Amazon and we'll assume you've heard that one. Um, but just, just kind of recap. So, so iterate, um, the way I envision it is it's kind of like a marketplace for, for, um, on one side of the marketplace, you have kind of the buyers and that is retailers. And then on the other one, you have the quote unquote sellers. And that's these kind of startups that want to, you know, they, they want to get their technology into retailers. And what you've done is you've kind of, I'll use a computer science term. You've made it orthogonal, meaning that it's very easy for a retailer to just plug in, iterate. And then now it's almost like an app store. Now I can try one of these 50 kind of stores and you've, you've not only made the integration kind of easy through similar tags and things like that. And this shared cookie, Mm -hmm. I would imagine, and these kinds of things, but you've also made the legal part easy too, because Mm -hmm. now I don't, if I'm, if I'm the, you know, the VP of marketing at JC Penney and I want to try one of these things, I could, you know, to try 50 different things would probably take, you know, 50 years or 25 years because of the legal process. I can just sign up with iterate and now I can kind of like sample these startups. Is that a, did I get anything wrong in there? That's a great depiction okay. of what we do. But here's the funny thing. You're actually uh, a couple of weeks ahead of us. Right. Uh, you kind of wrote our, we, we've built exactly what you're talking about and are releasing the first version of this kind of plug and play uh, sampling of apps through a technical integration, retail website straight into Iterate AI, which, which is our web, you know, our operational website. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's built for exactly what you're talking about. So you could just basically try a startup. You can turn it on, see how it works. If it doesn't work, you turn it off. Yeah. If it works, you keep it. Cool. And um, and we feel like this is necessary, and, and we need to expand it into the offline, you know, the in-store environment as well, yeah. and into the IoT environment because that's be- and and even the in-home, like you know, all this voice stuff that's mm-hmm. coming. Yeah. But that's what we're building. Okay. Yeah. And then like, so give me an idea. So let's say we have a lot of retailers, obviously that listen mm-hmm. to this. What, what's it cost? Is it, you know, is this like seven figures, like setting up your own lab kind of yeah. expensive or is this, is it a monthly fee? Is it like, how, how do you, and, and if, yeah. you know, we don't have to get into specifics, but just kind of give the listener an idea yeah. of, you know, what this takes to, to work with. Well, right now the, um, <laughs> the website itself is free because we're just, we're still, you know, we're in the process of still building it. Some of the stuff you just described, we're going to be announcing one of those really important pieces, the operational aspect in about, in about a week. So I'm kind of announcing it, I guess, kind of now, Boom! but we'll give yeah. you, a- it's a scoop right here, <laughs> folks. Another we'll- Jason and Scott exclusive. If our, yeah. if our audio engineer can get this out fast enough, yeah, this could yeah, be yeah. a, could be another Jason, Jason and Scott exclusive. But it- He's still looking up the blur book, <laughs> yeah. so I, it could, <laughs> it could uh, take a little while. Well, now. these unpaid internships, you know how they go. But this will, you know, it'll evolve and, and it'll start small. And, but we're, we've figured this out over time and we've been working. So retailers now. don't pay uh, right now. No, uh, okay. but, but they will. I mean, right. you know, we've got legal expenses. We got expenses to run the thing, but uh, it'll be, you know, small. Um, 
6000 to $10,000 a year to okay. plug in. And that'll be kind of like per So seat, less than the cost of a seat. developer. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. And, right. and that'll access like a legal agreement and, but we're doing packages. I mean, we're still talking about this. It could be, you know, a company gets a 10 pack for $30,000. That would be like 10 seats. And and what you can do on the platform though, is, is a seat, an app or a, a seat, seat is with, like no people, people that can access the okay. website. So within the website, there, there are a number of things. One, you can search for companies that, um, that kind of fit your job description. Um, uh, uh, we're building like uh, artificial intelligence uh, clustering mechanisms that uh, pretend you have a job description uh, under your name, you know, Jason Goldberg or Scott Wingo. You're, you've got a certain type of job and you've got um, um, tags basically associated with your job title or even a, right. a paragraph describing what you do. We'll be able to find startups that match right. your so if I'm head of supply chain, you're not mm-hmm. going to show me merchandising right. things, but if I'm head of right. merchandising, okay, got it. And that's what we're building right yeah. right now. Uh, so that, yeah, so it's highly tailored to you. And so if you're an HR person, you'll have yours. And you know, if you're Jason, he'll have a different set than you, Scott, and different set than me. And, but, and then, and then uh, that's kind of the search mechanism. Right. And then we've got a way to, like we just did a big job or we're in the process of doing one for a big utility in Netherlands. Uh, they're, they're a $7 billion organization there and they're interested in finding, um, 10 startups in 10 different verticals, uh, from smart home to smart city to smart building to flex, what's called flex and grid, uh, energy distribution because houses are going to start trading energy and they want to be in the middle of that to, to, um, uh, deep learning, with, yeah. you know, an artificial intelligence within the energy space. And so you've kind so of expanded we, past retail, I guess. We're all, yeah, like, we're yeah. in a number of. Ca- it's actually good because there's tons of overlap right now. Like yeah. think of all the smart devices I just talked about with energy. That applies to a lot of retailers too. And yeah. we've done a lot of work in IoT lately. Uh, but but in any event, the um, this company asked us to set up what we call collections. So we have you can create a collection around call it smart home security. And then we went and looked in the world for all the smart home security startups we could find and created what they call a collection. And we ended up finding 750 startups for their 10 different verticals. And then we have a grading mechanism in there so that we can grade them all. And what they were trying to do is figure out what are the um, you know, top five in each of these verticals that they should look at doing biz dev, uh, investment, or acquisitions in. And so this website set up to do that. Uh-huh. And then it... It uh, and we call that kind of a um, that's kind of a networking aspect because you can do it as a team. Yeah, uh, they had twenty people working on it, including us and and a big consulting firm. Uh, but but then we also have this operational component, which is the plug and play technology, being able to deploy code yeah. into platforms. Cool. Yeah. So on the retail side, you've got these fifty startups in there. What what you know? What are some of the most Popular, um, like what are what are retailers trying to solve? Yeah. Is it like conversion enhancement, mobile, oh, or is it? Yeah, it's just like so. You know, well, we've so got scattered. There's no common in thing. in the platform. There are 136 thousand startups. We've got that okay. many in there, but but there are 50 that we have under contract. Okay, and what that means is when we put a company under contract, we think there's going to be a wide scale adoption. Yeah, of them. And and the reason is what we do is we we don't just say hey that's a really cool you know like. Um, shiny object type startup. Uh, we try to validate whether or not the the technology is working. And and you know, as any founder of a company, a lot of times they're going to tell you the best possible story they can. Mm-hmm. And we know that. And sometimes it is the an average story, but a lot of times, you know, we're just trying to get to the truth. So when we find a startup that we think is worth looking at closely, or or we've been asked to look at closely, we will. Uh, you know, we'll reference check, we'll get involved in tests. We'll actually, we've deployed tests with them. And then we get real numbers that we will stand behind almost like the rubber stamp of approval. And so when we go to, let's call it e-bags and say, we think you should try this. We know there's probably 85% chance it's going to work. And that's about our adoption rate. So some of the technologies, um, online, we have one that, um, that, uh, blocks malware. Um, uh, but it, it, it's a reverse malware blocking. In other words, uh, it fires from the tag management solution, tag manager uh, on the enterprise side, but it goes and sniffs out the browser of the shopper to see if there's any malware on the shopper's site. And if there's any malware there, it blocks the malware ads 
from trying to divert traffic off your site onto a competitive site to pick mm-hmm. up affiliate commissions. Okay. Believe it or not, that's like a hidden problem that people have. Uh, we tested it on Jockey. They had 11% infection rate wow. with their shoppers. Ebags had, I don't know, it was like 6 or 7%. Another big billion-dollar brand had about a 6% mm-hmm. infection rate. And, and what happens is when the people that have that infection uh, tend to, their conversion rate drops to almost zero. Um, you know, one of the companies we tested has about a 7% conversion rate, but the people that were infected with malware had about a 1%. And that thing can get deployed in 15 minutes. It doesn't affect the UI, nothing. You just put it in the tag manager. So that's one. It's like the simple one. But then with Adobe, we, we, uh, and Capgemini, a big consulting firm, um, um, we built a, uh, we brought in a startup called Twist, uh, T-W-I, I mean, Y-S-T that, um, has a, RFID reader the size of a thumb nail kind of, and it can fit on the bottom of a shopping bag. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, uh, also operates with, a a, um, an antenna that is a thread. Uh, it's, it's amazing. You can wrap the thread around the top of the bag and basically any item that's RFID tagged in a store, when you drop it into the bag, it goes into the POS automatically gets removed from inventory uh, goes and it, it can go into the person's phone app and it can turn the phone app into basically the POS device right in the store. Yeah. And um, Adobe just released that in March at their big show, but we were the company. Jason was there. Yeah. We talked were about it? it on the podcast. Oh, you saw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. We, we started that thing. Okay. So it was, it, we found the company Twist. We found them in 2014. The, the head engineers, they're amazing. They're out of uh, MIT and Harvard and, um, one of the, the lead engineer is what's called a Hertz fellow, 10 PhDs in the world get this, uh, get this, um, distinction a year. And he's one of them. He's a genius. And, but anyway, we found them before they had a website. Uh, we took them around to a number of companies to try to find a place for them. Ebags is working with them right now to bring a consumer application to market. But the first deployment was at that Adobe show that you went to. Yeah. So, that, and we worked on the solution architecture, but you know, Adobe had a lot of people on it and. It is cool. And so that's another one that's in store. Um, uh, we have, a, we have um, oh boy, like yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. in, in general, what is the profile of the startups? Like, are they, mm. like, have they mostly been funded? Are they pre-funding? Yeah. Are they all across the spectrum? Yeah. Our, our most funded one has raised about $50 million. And uh, it's a Yoda. I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's a CD. It's a CDN. It's a well. I, I shouldn't say that. They'd get upset with me. Uh, what they do is they're the able next to, generation. Ne- yeah, CDN. they're able to they're able to optimize the delivery of the website. You know, after the CDN basically, and and this they speed up delivery on uh, of the website pages and into the mobile phone. By you know, it, it's a high number. It's uh, we've seen it anywhere from ten to thirty-five percent, and we've watched seven or eight of these deploy. And um, I mean, off current best practice, and and what happens is the conversion rates usually go up by about half uh, of whatever the speed increase is. And so they have fifty million, and then we have that first one that I talked to you about it hasn't raised a dime. It's it's like you know a handful of guys uh, that created this JavaScript thing that you know blocks malware. Uh, our average company's probably raised about three million, you know. So they're not heavily funded, but you know. But the other thing is, I, I did this profile on like the first twenty companies we put under contract, and uh, this is kind of interesting. Over eighty percent of the founders were not American. Hmm. They might live here, and most of them do. Yeah. But they're immigrants. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I think about uh, it was like 35, 40% of them have advanced degrees from, you know, the Ivy League schools, Stanford, MIT. Um, a number of them are lawyers. Um, you know, and then we got one that I'm kind of chasing after right now that's a 19-year-old kid. And he was introduced to me by, um, by a guy named Doug Alley, who, you know, he's a Harvard, Prince, I mean, Harvard, Stanford grad. He worked at Amazon and you know, these people call me up and say, you really got to see this thing. And I remember I, I talked to this kid on the phone, but he sounded like a 30-year-old. Uh, the next day, I decided I'm going to hook up with him on LinkedIn, went and looked and was trying to look for his background. And it said he just graduated from high school. And <laughs> I nearly fell over. So I wrote Doug a note and said, is this really the guy? And he said, that's the guy. And, mm-hmm. and they're already working with the biggest bank in Japan, um, with JetBlue. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the real deal. Yeah. It's a kid. 
So we, they come from all over the board, but they tend to be a, a real um, sophisticated. It's not cowboys. Like these are. Um, and if there happens to be someone listening to the podcast that is involved in a startup and they're interested in leveraging the platform, mm-hmm. they go to the website and yeah. like, can are startups coming to you now? I know originally like you were having probably to do a lot of work chasing them to go out and chase them. Yeah. You know, it, it, it comes in all sizes, but the easiest thing is you can, anyone can go to the platform and, you know, we've had like 450 or something startups sign up on there. Now we've, we've got 136,000 identified and indexed about 450 have claimed their profile. We haven't done any marketing. They just kind of come every day. A few people come in, uh, gradually we will start promoting this. Um, but you know, you can always email me. I'm pretty easy to find, uh, or anyone on our team, <laughs> Just go to Iterate Studio or, you know, you can find me on there or on LinkedIn or just ask around, you know. Uh, we don't really have a formal process, I guess, <laughs> but we're always looking. I mean, we're just looking all the time. I get introductions all the time. And as, as just like what you do when you hire, probably, I mean, a lot of the best ones come from people we know Yep. who just say, man, you have to, you have to look at you Maybe have to podcasts, this just tell them Jason and Scott sent you. Uh, yeah, there you go. That, that's <laughs> And we would take those referrals in two seconds. We'll go right to the front of the queue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Some people are really good at spot. You know, we have certain people that just seem to have a real eye for these things. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And anything new we should be expecting? You mentioned that you're starting to automate the process of getting to try these yeah. startups different. Is that where like most of the work is right now? Yeah. You know, it's, it's Brian who I mentioned before, he's our technical lead and he's, he's really, really technical. Like he's the most technical person I've ever worked with. And um, he's knee deep in trying to perfect all this stuff. Like, um, uh, create the integrations from our platform and other platforms, you know, make it real seamless so that we can better the lives of, you know, 600 retailers out there. That's the goal. So if I'm on ATG or Demandware or something, the idea is I would just kind of, you guys would just like slot right in and it'd yeah, there's be kind one of those, integrated Yeah. There's one of those that, where we're, you know, working really hard right now. And yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. that's right. Okay. Cool. And then one, I guess one last question. So on the retail side, is there a particular profile of a retailer that's the best fit? Like, you know, you mentioned price points and they didn't sound that expensive. Yeah. Are there well, small e-commerce sites that are doing 10 or 20 million a year in revenue? Would, mm-hmm. would they be clients? Is it more? Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so what we have is the Iterate AI, which is automated basically. And then we've got Iterate Studio, which is more of a, um, you know, hands-on help. And we have some real big retailers, like the utility I talked about before, uh, real big companies working with us. And certainly that costs more money. I mean, it takes us a lot of time and uh, we're pretty structured about it. And, um, you know, and and that probably some of the smaller companies would not want to do. But we have a process where we we do discovery for companies on a general basis. And then every quarter do a, what we call a reveal where we'll show, you know, 5, 10, 12 newly discovered companies that we think will move the needle in virtually any company we work for. And we show those every quarter to whoever wants to work with us. And, and so, yeah, any size company can do that. I mean, a $50 million retailer, 30 million, that would be great. Ebags is probably my favorite like client, I guess right now. And, and, uh, and, and I don't, I only mean that because of the speed at which they're working in that uh, they're probably trying seven or eight technologies a quarter from us right now and doing their own stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. We're never there to replace anybody. We're there to augment and extend uh, what companies are already working on. John, listening to your whole evolution is kind of like tracing the history of digital commerce, which is kind of exciting. So I totally appreciate you sharing the story with us. As per usual, we've blown through our hour <laughs> um, so I do want to thank all the listeners for staying with us through our 27th episode. I'll remind everyone that we now have a Facebook page, so we'd love to have you like the Facebook page. And if you have any like 
questions or uh, feedback for John. I know he'll be hanging out on the Facebook page taking questions for the next two or three months, I think you promised. Um, Six months. Perfect. (laughs) Sold. And, of course, we always appreciate the, the reviews on iTunes. With that, and until next week, we'll wish all the listeners a happy commercing. Thanks, everyone, and thanks, John, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Great. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave a review.